there were people that said, well, if you want to make money, stay in marketing because that's a niche that people can say, well, you talk to marketers. I want to reach marketers. SaaS companies want to sell to marketers. Go into marketing. But if you want longevity and you want to stick with something for the long haul, go after the thing that you're passionate about. And I've been a marketer almost for two decades. I love marketing and I love talking about marketing, but it wasn't the thing that like when I sat down and I wanted to come up, like one of the exercises I did before the newsletter was like, I'm just going to sit down, blank Excel doc or Google Sheets doc, 60 subject lines. Like if I were to write 60 subject lines on any topics, it could be marketing, it could be anything else, go. And I did this exercise and like 90% of them were not marketing. Louder than words. Hey, listeners, I used Riverside to record this episode that you're about to listen to right now. In fact, over the last few years, I haven't used anything but Riverside to record any podcast. I'm a solopreneur these days, but I also used Riverside when I was running marketing teams. In both cases, I needed something that made recording easy and reliable, but also something that would simplify post-production. I don't have hours, nor do I want to spend hours on this stuff. So the fact that I can mark the timestamps for clips live during the recording transcribe full episodes, use AI to help with the show notes, and then edit the recording super quickly using the text-based editor made it a no-brainer for me. Right now, Riverside is offering a 15% discount to Louder Than Words listeners. Just visit riverside.fm or click the link in the show notes and use the code LOUDER during checkout to lock in your discount. Enjoy the episode. Cool. All right. I'm not going to do any weird intros or anything like that. So we're just going to jump into it. So this conversation is happening at a really pivotal moment for you. I saw this was happening because I follow you on Twitter, right? But you sent out a newsletter this morning talking about how you recently left your position as VP of marketing, left the nine to five, which you've done before, which we'll get into. But to kind of go full time on, sounds like a mix of like the creator business with the newsletter, but also a little bit of consulting and so first, like, congrats. And as somebody who is going through this myself, like, how are you feeling? Definitely equal parts anxiety inducing. You go from stable ground to, oh, I have to work for every paycheck, which is a very different mentality. But I thrive off of that kind of internal stress. Like, I think that that is the good stress that I can harness. And every time I've, I've left corporate America, so this is my third time doing this, it's very cyclical for me. Like I've done this a few times where it's like I go back into the corporate world, I get that stability. Sometimes it in- involved having a baby at that time and, you know, getting a paycheck, having health insurance, like all these things. And then I hit this moment where I just have this inner desire to be unleashed And I keep feeling like I am made for more and I feel contained in whatever corporate entity or role I'm in. And so for me, each time has been with a different kind of 
goal in mind. This one is very different because the last two were for startups. I wanted to build a company. This is the first time I'm truly stepping out into the content creator landscape and it's me. And that definitely comes with its own mixed feelings because and one of the reasons why I focus on Twitter and LinkedIn and writing a newsletter is because I've always wanted to be known for my words and thoughts before anything else. And and I think that is an important part of like this next chapter for me. And I announced like I signed with a book agent. I'm taking kind of what I've been doing over the last few months of writing every day, which has been a wonderful new muscle to build, but now kind of going down the like longer form writing path. Right. You mentioned a lot here that that resonates with me deeply, specifically the part about like working for a paycheck all the time, right? As someone who's recently made this leap, similar in terms of like half creator, some consulting, that was the thing that struck me pretty acutely. Like I'll get over it and then it'll come back and then I'll get over it and then it'll come back. It's like, oh shit, like there's, this could all go terribly. And what are you doing? Like you have five kids, like this is my inner dialogue like we just my wife and i just had our fifth in august and so i'm like what am i doing like what like what are you doing why would you think this is a good idea and so i have these moments where like i talk myself out of it then i talk myself back in and are you having any of that going on like how have you navigated that for sure i mean i'm a single mom i have three kids i don't have a safety net i do not come from money i'm a first generation college grad and so and i've never had like a massive liquidity event in my life so it's not like i've got this nest egg that i can like fall back on here's what i do in those moments i first acknowledge that i'm having those thoughts because the more you suppress them i feel like the more that they've feed into all parts of everything you're doing. So I just acknowledge that there is some anxiety, some fear. The second thing I do is I kind of get curious of like what voice is actually saying that and to what version of me they're saying it to. And so what I mean by that is like sometimes it's like very young Amanda, like feeling like a need to be super great at everything she does. And I'm stepping into this territory that I may fail, but like adult Amanda totally knows I will take whatever failure, learn from it and probably create content out of it and keep going. So you just have to kind of check in and say like, is this like our pa- like a parent voice? Is this a societal voice that's telling you like, I still rent, I don't own a house. Like what are you doing? You should be at this point in your life and you need to be working on these things. Like those are the voices that sometimes are creating that anxiety. And I say, okay, thank you all, but I'm good. You're not serving me, but it is like, there are so many content creators out there selling this like polished packaged dream of, Hey, tweet a lot, sell a course. You'll never have to work again what we have to start to like peel back or pull back the wizard of Oz curtain here is like, did they make money somewhere in their life? Do they have a ton of savings where they have this like kind of 
breathing room to go do this. And they're not operating out of place of fear. They're operating out of a complete place of abundance. And for me, that's why it's important to talk about like, hey, I am consulting. Like that's what's keeping the lights on. Being a content creator is not paying all of my bills yet. I'm building in public to show like, what is that path to get there? Yeah. I have some thoughts there too, but one of the things you were saying about like which version of of, of yourself is, is the one speaking. For me, I've noticed too that the different types of self-talk, whether it's negative, comes at different times of the day. Usually when I'm tired at night, relaxing, sleeping, that's when the negative one comes. Like, and it's usually like right before I go to bed and it's like, what are you doing? Like you need stability, you need safety. And, but when I'm like, like right now it's, you know, almost noon right now, like I'm full at it. I feel like I'm in fighting form. I'm like, yeah, forget all that noise. So I kind of have to remind myself when it's nighttime, like, Hey, you know what? Shelf this, think about this exact thought again tomorrow. And then when I do, I'm like, oh yeah, that was no, that's not helpful. Move on. So yeah, that's interesting how being aware of the different ways that your, your mind can work like that. And the part about the creator business and, and sort of supplementing that with, with the consulting side was this the aspiration when you first started the newsletter? Was it like, what was the motivation or the the longer term vision when you first started that? Or just really like the inspiration for starting it in the first place? So like I said, I have always loved writing. So even when I have been a CMO multiple times, what ends up happening is like, I love writing the copy and I end up writing like a welcome email series, like even as like at the CMO level, like I just love writing and storytelling. And I think that there's a part of, I love psychology and how people tick. And so there's that with marketing, those go hand in hand, but I started the newsletter for two reasons. One, I realized that long form writing is not a skill set I've ever truly tapped into. I've been tweeting for five years. It's a skill set, but it's a very different way to like get a point across and you learn like the ways to put a hook in there and get somebody's attention and all that stuff. Right. But I was like, can I actually keep someone's attention for longer? And I needed a little bit of validation that I could before I pursued writing a book. And why do I want to write a book? It's partly ego. Honestly, like, let's call it what it is. I have this dream that I will take my daughters to Barnes and Noble and they get to find mommy's book. Like, it's such like a no real reason other than, and the more I learn about the book process, it's like, you should not be doing it to make money. You make zero money and you put hundreds of hours of time and energy into this thing. So you have to have other drivers. It has to be the beginning of something, not the end of something. And for me, it's the beginning of maybe a next season of being a content creator. But it was truly like a little bit of that, like, a goal that I have for my life that I haven't pursued and a skill set that I've never really fine tuned that I wanted to go after. So that's why the newsletter became the first step towards that path. I love having that emotional goal tied to it, like having your daughter see the book in Barnes and Noble. I think a big reason I'm starting my own business too is like, I want my kids to see that there's other ways of 
Like you don't need to be an employee, right? That you can do hard things. And at the beginning, I would tell my wife, I was like, yeah, one of the big reasons is like, I just want, I want our kids to know that they could do hard things. And you're sort of modeling that. So like, I I love that. And I, I relate to that a lot. I wonder if there's something about having kids. I'm sure there is, but like this idea that once you become a parent, your motivators kind of kick into gear. Cause I definitely, like, if you look at my career, it's like my twenties. And then I had my first kid at 28 and then it, it just like hockey sticked from there. And there has to be some kind of psychology there that all of a sudden it's like, you either want to prove to them or you want to pave a way. I don't know, but that's really cool. Yeah. feels like a little bit of both. Um, on that note too, like before I get more into the news that I like you in going off on your own, you had to do all like the boring businessy stuff, right? Like incorporate the LLC you know, open the bank account and all that stuff. This is part of this too. You've, you've started a couple of businesses before, but like that first piece of mail you get, th- this time it was a little different, right? Because this is you, like you are the product. What was it like when you got that? Like, cause I got the piece of mail from the state of Connecticut that, you know, had the LLC and I was like, okay, this is, this is real. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm lucky. Like my accountant kind of did the LLC formation for me and, and gets all the things. And he sent me a binder and I was like, what? We, I don't even, somewhere around this house. But it was like this massive binder that they do for every new company. And it had like HLG projects, which are my kids' names, Hallie, like Grayson. And I was just like, huh. Like it hadn't occurred to me because my last two companies was like a tech startup and then a CPG company. I forget that this is like, a business. <laughs> I needed this like thing to slap me in the face to be like, oh no, this is like a real business. And now I'm like doing it. Cause I, I'm basically waking up and doing the same thing I've been doing for the last three years, but not getting paid for it. And now I'm just figuring out how to maybe get paid for the thing I've just been doing. So. Right. Equally as exciting as that part is the process Again, I don't know what your situation was here, but like of purchasing health insurance? Still a TBD. My last like, couple days are the rest. I, I gave notice and the first day of September. And so I think like legally the insurance goes until the end of the month. So that I'm definitely in the process. So if you have any tips, I will take them. Like, what do I do? I had a couple months of runway. And so, you know, I went through the state of Connecticut marketplace. Luckily, I have a mother-in-law who has worked in health insurance. And so I was like, listen, I need, I, need, <laughs> I need to lean on you here. Like usually your employer presents a couple plans, you pick one, but when it's just you could pick any plan and then there's like potential tax credits based on what you're forecasting you're going to make. And so I just didn't want to you know, screw anything up. Yeah, I don't know how that have much advice. I just like the process of going through government websites and I was the worst version of myself for like three to five day stretch because I couldn't figure like I, I couldn't finish the process because these little things kept happening and then I had to call a million times and they weren't helpful. And I, I like apologized to my wife. I was like, listen, uh, that's the worst version of me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not healthy when I'm trying to find health insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just like navigating government like that to me, for some reason brings out the worst of myself, like impatient, like slam in the desk, like annoyed, like this is why I don't do my own taxes. I have an accountant who does that. 
But in this case, I had to do it and I wanted to do it. Like kind of like where you were saying, like, this is a skill set I don't have. I want to do these boring business things because I want to know how they work. Again, because someday if my kids ever ask me, I want to be able to say, yeah, I know, yeah, I know how to do that. Or yeah, I've done that. Or I have some experience there. I'm not as good of a person as you. I'm just like, I got a guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give you a guy, and that's how I'm gonna help you because I have there's something about I call it like adulting too hard. Like there are certain things that as a 37-year-old mom of three, I should be able to just know how to do. But this is slightly embarrassing, but like registering my car in the state of Florida turned out to be like like a couple year process. I have the plates now, but like every time I went to the website, it was not fully clear on what documentation. And then like, first you have to get a license and then you have to go and get it tested. And then you have to go get it notarized. And then you have to go do this thing. And you have to, insurance has to pass over. And then I found out that Carvana never sent me my title. So then I had to go back to North Carolina and get the title. And every time I hit a roadblock, I was like, throw my hands up in the air. And I was like, it's not meant to be (laughs) like, and so thank God, like I never got pulled over because it was like a whole thing. But there are certain things that like, I think we as adults, we have blockers on that the right thing to do is what you're doing, which is you keep leaning into that blocker because I know so many women that like myself included with finances. It's like, I, I married somebody that was in finance. And so I just was like, had this mental blocker of like, I don't know what a mutual fund is. I don't need to learn about that. Like he's got it. And all of a sudden I got divorced and I was like, Oh, I need to learn all of this stuff. And once I got into it, I'm like, Oh, it's not that complicated. I can manage my money And I think we just have to get close enough to something and dip our toes in to be like, oh, no, we're totally capable of doing these things. Yeah, right. So your car's good now, though, right? My car's good. (laughs) License plates, Florida. I don't think we have any law enforcement in this audience, so I think you're safe. But just in case, everything's on the up and up. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Everything's on the up and up. Yeah. Pull me over. License, registration. I got you. All right. So... I wanted to cover that stuff because that's a, that's a big part of of this process, right? It's like setting up the LLC, getting your own health in some cases, right? Some folks might have people that their spouses are work, whatever, right? But not the case for for everybody. But the newsletter. So this was something again that you were inspired to start, and you were doing this on the side, right? Like you said something in your newsletter today that was like you're you're going from like a five to nine side hustle, like the, this is your nine to five, which I thought was very poetic. That was really good, nicely done. So just talk about like building that, the side. And I don't know if I asked you this yet, but when did you start that? Like how long has that newsletter been going for now? June 15th was launch, the first one. So basically the way I view anything is I have to hit some proof point for myself, some little inkling of validation. And for me, that came in a few forms, which was, how fast did it grow? So we're about 10,000 subscribers. Can I maintain an open rate that's really healthy? So we're at, we maintain like 60% open rate. And third, it's like, are people responding and saying this content is resonating? And every Thursday I go through like 50 emails of people saying, because my emails, 
the way I, I formulate them is it's very actionable. It's like step one, do this, step two, do this. And I'm hearing that people are using the frameworks I'm putting out there. So it was like, okay, baseline, is the content valuable? Because if it's not valuable, it doesn't matter how good of a salesperson I am and how many followers I have. Like you can't keep an audience and grow a community and monetize them if the core product isn't good. So that was my validation point. And then the second thing was, I have a number, I'll share it, like, can I hit $10,000 in revenue, whether it's through consulting or whatever, so that I can pay my bills and still be putting a little bit of money away? If so, then I feel comfortable taking this leap and stepping. And like I said, like going from a five to nine, like side hustle to a nine to five content creator role. And in those first three months, I started to get inbound for sponsorships. I started to get DMs of people, you know, wanting to hear about what I'm doing on podcasts. And I was like, okay, there's a there there. So let's explore this a little bit more. So then I put, a, I pushed the snowball a little further and said, could I put something out there more formally and start to make some money? And so I responded to a couple of those inbounds and I secured two sponsorships. I'm like, oh, okay, I can actually start to make money off of this. And so, yeah, I think that getting enough proof points allowed me to take the leap. I think that it's really scary for someone. You'd have to be in a place where you don't have a lot of liabilities to step away and just be like, I'm going to start a newsletter, quits job, starts newsletter. Like that gap or bridge is a very scary one without proof points. And so anybody listening is start it on the side. Like literally I write the newsletter on Saturdays and Sundays. I edit it Mondays, Tuesdays, program on Wednesday. It goes out on Thursday. That broken up is about 90 minutes a day. If you really want to try it 90 minutes a day, you probably scroll TikTok for that long. Like you just got to reshuffle your priorities. Yeah. I was three years before like 2020, August of 2020 launched a community, paid community for content marketers, writers, and thought it would just be like a little thing. Like I, like, you know, since, since we're being so transparent, I was like, oh, if I could like pay my mortgage from this group, sweet. Like if I could make $2,400 a month, sweet, like gold. And then within a few months, it far surpassed that. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't anticipating this. And that sort of like broke my, broke the way I thought about working. Yeah. It's really crazy when you actually give yourself that ceiling. It's like, if I can get here, then I'm good. And when you have that number in mind, you go get it. Like if you figure it out. Like, be like, if I could just pay my car payment from this, and then all of a sudden a lot of good things happen, right? Because then you have a signal and you could talk to people. I like, I like framing it that way because it seems much more attainable than like fund your entire life. Just pay a car bill, pay your mortgage. Right. These people that are like, I made $200,000 this year as a content creator. I'm like, dude, I'm so far from that right now. Like, let's call it what it is. But if I start putting that amount of pressure on myself to, as a content creator, like I'm talking about like 10,000 for me is, can I do consulting and 
and see what part of that pie chart starts to be content creator and does that start growing? Does that, you know, but yeah, the people that are, I can't watch that stuff. If somebody's like, here's how I made a million dollars. I'm like, that is so far from me. I just want to like, like you said, pay a bill. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. That stuff is, it can be deflating to me. And I've had to audit. Like I can't, I can't look at that, especially in the vulnerable place that I'm in now. For me, it's the stuff that's like launched a course and it made $60,000 in two weeks. And I'm like, geez, like I'm, I am not there. Like, (laughs) so I'm with you. I cannot watch that stuff. And that's why I'm taking a very different approach to this stuff because I think that we're in this little bit of a, a creator bubble where everybody thinks that they have to just show like, and maybe inflate their success where they're like, I've done this much and this much time. Here's how I did it. And it attracts these people and it feeds off of their insecurities of like, well, I want to do this. I must do follow them. But what I think it actually does is has this inverse reaction because again, that is such an unattainable step for someone that you're like, well, if I can't do what they're doing, why even try? And for me, I'm like, I'm just like trying to write a new, like step one was like, can I produce a newsletter every week? Like step two, can I get one sponsor for the newsletter? And I'm literally like handholding and people are coming on this journey with me to say, okay, I'm just going to like stay with her. It's like in a marathon. I don't know if you've ever run a marathon, but they have those pacers and it's like, I'm not a fast runner, but I've run four marathons and I would just be like, okay, 10 minute mile person. All right. That's my person. I don't care about anybody else up there. Like this is my person. That's kind of like, I want to be that 10 minute miler pacer for everybody doing this stuff. Yeah. It's critical. And something I've, I, you know, have a lot of friends who are self-employed and, and, and we talk a lot about is this idea of building in public, right? That's very, very in right now. But what's actually happening is people are winning in public. I think very few people are building it. Like, I think you're a good example. A few weeks ago, I r- really related to this when you shared the part about how you were incorporating the, the company and open up the bank account. And sometimes I'm like, a lot of the good stuff is in the comments. So like I looked at the comments and people were like, congrats, congrats. And you would respond terrified. And I'm like, that's building in public. (laughs) (laughs) Like vulnerability. Like this is the real shit. Like I'm (laughs) opening an LC and I'm I'm terrified. Like I need to make this work. I feel like I'm putting myself out there. The stuff about I made 60 grand in, in two weeks from a course, they wouldn't have posted anything about that if they didn't do that. So like that to me is it's, that's not building in public. That's winning in public. And so I try to, I don't always, I'm not always successful at it, but I I try not to let those posts enter my psyche, but it, it's they're everywhere. Well, and the other thing, the closer I get to the creator community, you have to remember that a lot of these people have people supporting them and teams. So there are people who do that. And then I peel back the layers and I see that they have content writers, they have you know, VAs, they have agencies. And so we all are playing not on an equal playing field. And we have 
to, no one's going to call it out. No one's going to say that because that's not like, you don't lay out all your cards, but I'll just, I just want anyone listening and, and like for you to understand that like, we're not all playing the same game and that's totally fine, but you have to just stay focused on your game. Big moment for me too was under, like hearing specifically about somebody, obviously I'm not going to name, their profitability was very, very low. It's like, oh, okay, got it. So they're spending nine grand to make 10 grand. Got it. Once you learn that, you, it's almost like the veil comes down and you're like, oh, okay, now I don't feel so bad. You're just like, okay, I'm not spending all that money to advert, right? Okay, so, okay, got it. That makes sense. Yeah, if you spend $40,000 and you make a $60,000 course, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that sounds about, yeah, sounds about right. So like, how did you land on your, the tilt, the angle of your newsletter? Because it's, you're very open and vulnerable. You share a lot of like frameworks for thinking, um, but you're very open and that could be scary as a creator just in and of itself. But like, how did you land on that as your angle? So people have asked me like, how can I be vulnerable like you online? Here's the reality. If you and I were to go to dinner, you would know everything about me. Like I, since I was younger, maybe to a fault, like I share because I have this deep desire for depth of connection. I can't stay on the surface level. I just, it gives me the ookies. Like I want to go deep and I want to learn about somebody. And I have found, and it's a self, you know, fulfilling prophecy that when I go first and I share it opens the door for someone to be deeper back. So that's how I've always showed up online. Now it's been an iterative process to understand and, and, and maybe set some boundaries around like what I do and don't share totally. Like being vulnerable in public does not mean everyone gets full access to me. And that was something I had to shift. But the angle of the newsletter Really, I got two schools of thought when I said I wanted, when I would like, you know, bounce it off of some people. There were people that said, well, if you want to make money, stay in marketing because that's a niche that people can say, well, you talk to marketers. I want to reach marketers. SaaS companies want to sell to marketers. Go into marketing. But if you want longevity, and you want to stick with something for the long haul, go after the thing that you're passionate about. And I've been a marketer almost for two decades. I love marketing and I love talking about marketing, but it wasn't the thing that like, when I sat down and I wanted to come up, like one of the exercises I did before the newsletter was like, I'm just gonna sit down, blank Excel doc or Google Sheets doc, 60 subject lines. Like if I were to write, 60 subject lines on any topics. It could be marketing. It could be anything else. Go. And I did this exercise and like 90% of them were not marketing. They were about life and things I've learned. I've gone through a lot of stuff in my life and I've done a lot of some deep work on growth. I get excited to share that stuff. So I am a firm believer that you focus on following your passion and your energy and the money will follow. And that's kind of like what I started. Now I'm working on some projects that will still keep the marketing 
stuff alive because I am consulting and doing marketing and I love brand strategy work, but it just wasn't the thing I wanted to start with. Yeah. You talked earlier about landing your first sponsor and you started to understand like, okay, there's a there there, which kind of went against maybe some of the advice it sounds like you got, which was like stick with marketing. It'll be much more straightforward to get sponsors. Have you found that it's been harder because you went a little bit more broad and, and more personal and more about life or no? I'll be honest, I'm still in the stage of like inbound. So I have, it's not like I've cast a wide net to understand like what categories my stuff resonates with. I think the people that I'm connecting with or the sponsors I'm connecting with right now are looking to reach people who want to create content and they're following me because of my journey on this road to content creation. So that's kind of what's happening right now. Now, as I go into like adding a marketing vertical, if you will, if you think about like what my pillars are, I have a feeling it's going to be a lot easier. So what does that look like when you say like some sort of marketing angle of it? What does that look like? Is that part of the newsletter or something completely different? Yeah, different. I don't know if you follow like a couple of marketers do this, but this idea of like a duopreneur or like group multipreneurship is like a buzzword that's going out around. But I love my current vertical of personal professional growth, my book that I'm writing and working on, like this is my like home and I love it. And it's, it's, I just opened up office hours um, where people can sign up and they can get like behind the scenes. Like I'm going to show them like the templates I'm building as a content creator, like how I'm pitching to sponsors, like all this stuff. Right. So that's this vertical. Then there's marketing and how to teach like navigating your marketing career or how to build a brand. Like all of this stuff is kind of this other vertical. And I believe that the future of content creators is coming together and having more powerful dynamics of like, okay, you have two people with audiences. I would much rather make half the profits and reach twice as many people because top of the funnel growth is so powerful. So not ready to announce any of that yet, but like super pumped about some of those projects that Maybe there's crossover in the audiences, but they're very different need states and solutions that are being provided. Right, right. Okay, that's exciting. We'll let you announce that in due time. So when do you know you have another idea for the newsletter? Just to geek out on the specifics, when do you know you have a topic? This is interesting. Like, I love talking about this because I almost feel like as a creator, like I have a newsletter myself and I write a lot and I feel like I almost go through life in the way that I, I've heard and read that comedians do. They're always, even unco- subconsciously, finding material and looking for material and being inspired and like, oh, that's a bit, that's a joke. I'm not a comedian, but sometimes things will happen. You'll be like, oh, this can relate to that. So yours, I would imagine you even, even more so because it's about self-improvement and, and life and things like that. So just talk about your, what has to happen for you to be like, that's an idea. And just what does that inspirational process look like for you? Yeah. So on Saturday mornings, I write at the same time every day. It's 5.30 to 7.30 every morning. So I'm very robotic about it. I get up, I go make my coffee and my toast. I eat it. I scroll TikTok for like five minutes. And I go straight to my computer. I'm sure productivity gurus would say I should not scroll TikTok or whatever, but it's my thing. 
Was there an ice, was there an ice bath in there or anything like that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So on Saturdays, it's my brain dump session. So again, people are going to listen to this and be like, she has no system whatsoever. And that's fine. It works for me, but I will literally brain dump. I will probably end up with 10 Google docs open because I'll start writing something and it will kickstart another train of thought. And then I'll open another Google doc and I'll say, well, that's a whole other newsletter. And then I'll start like going through that one. And I'm like, well, wait, I kind of want this angle. And I'm like, well, I'll come back to this one. And I, and so I end up probably writing or starting like a few sentences of like four to five different newsletters on Saturday. Then I say, well, which one did I get most like energy around? And that's what I go after. Sometimes I'll sit and say, I have a backlog of all of these things that I've thought about. And so they're just in a folder in my Google Drive of all these one sentenced Google Docs that I'll look at and say, which one maybe sparks some ideas. But then I'll look and say, like, what is happening in my life? Is there something that I want to, to like connect it to? Like, for example, I'm like, okay, every quarter I do this like OKR, personal OKR thing. It's how I make sure that I'm staying on track. And so I'm like, that might end up being a quarterly staple that I I revisit it. I show how I'm changing it based on what my goals are. And so that, like, I know that like in two, I'm writing about that, you know, but yeah, it's kind of a little art, a little science, mostly art, I think. Creating is messy. Yeah. I relate a lot to that. Yeah. I'll share one more thing. So I met with my agent yesterday to go through the proposal because like writing a book is a funky process. You have like six months of working on a proposal just to get it to a publisher, to have them buy it. Then you start writing it with the editor at the publisher. And then that's another year process of working with that editor. And I'm in this stage right now that my the agent called it the Frankenstein stage. She's like, what I want you to do is you just start writing a paragraph, a page, two pages. You have no clue where it's going to go in the book. If it will go in the book, you just write it. If you have a story that's always been in your minds that you want to get on paper, get it on paper. Eventually, this thing will kind of come over here and this thing will come over here. And then maybe two weeks later, they'll go like this. But it's, it's definitely a Frankenstein process. And that's truly like kind of the same process I take with the newsletter. Right. I find that the more I've tried to organize it, I don't know, like sometimes it works, but I feel like there has to be an element of messiness to it to allow thoughts to just freely, I don't know, put themselves. So, Cause I, like you, similarly, sometimes it'll happen with a LinkedIn post or a tweet or a newsletter, but I'll write something and I'll be like, Ooh, there's a, there's a line in here. That's going to be its own thing next week or tomorrow. I do that all the time. And I feel like, yeah, you have to give yourself the space to kind of uh, freely just record all your thoughts down. And that's n- usually messy. So Saturdays is like your writing day. It sounds like it happens multiple days, but that's like where the bulk of... Saturday is just the, can I pick a topic and kind of outline it? Like it's an ugly skeleton. Sunday is when I write it. I sit down and actually write it. Then... 
I go into Mondays, I like add a little bit more meat to the bones. I strip a lot of stuff because I am a, you can tell I'm a verbose person. And so I'm like, oh, this part, maybe they don't need (laughs) eight paragraphs on this thing. (laughs) So I try to strip as much as I can. And then I copy edit and then it goes out. How far ahead are you? I do go week by week. Yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> so what, when is it? What's today? Thursday? So it goes out on Thursdays. So next Thursdays is not written yet. You'll, or at least isn't finalized. You might have pieces of it. No, I know the topic because that one I'm actually, is a, that's my first sponsored one. And the way I'm thinking about sponsorships is like, I am actually picking the content to kind of synergistically fit with it in a very, very authentic way. Like, I don't want it to be like the most random thing. It's like, I don't know. I can't even come up with an example, but I'm not going to try to like square peg round hole here. I have an idea of how to make this feel really synergistic. And then, so it's my first time sponsoring. So you'll get to see like my first approach to, to sponsorship newsletter. That's huge. Does it feel any different? Like you're like, okay, well now I have to write this every week. I can't skip a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely like, like someone reached out yesterday and they want me to, to do their launch. They're launching a new product. And I was like, Oh, so it's going to be interesting how I navigate, like what I want to write with like sponsorship stuff. Like I have to maybe finesse that a little bit. You mean you want your topic that you're writing about in that week's newsletter to sort of align with whoever the sponsor is? I'm big on alignment in most things. And so I want it to feel truly like valuable. And I don't know, I think we as consumers are just getting so like, yeah, 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 ad and you skip it. And so if a sponsor is going to work with me, I want to like take it a little further and say like, how can I actually provide meaningful content around your service. Yeah, that's smart. The way I've been thinking about it so far is usually the the sponsor, I, I want to have some experience with it and I want it to, yeah, relate to my audience. I don't want to just, yeah, copy and paste your ad copy. So what I've been doing is like, you know, the, the sponsor I had this week, I basically talked about how I used to do a lot of what this product does manually and how long it used to take me and how I wished I had a product like that. And I, and I do, it's genuine because everything I said was, was true. Like we used, my teams would do that manually and, and now like poking around this tool and using it, obviously they, they comped me an account. I'm, I'm able to have real experience and talk about it more organically. And yeah, I, I don't want to do the whole like, Oh, what do you do? Okay, cool. Yeah. Just send me the ad copy and I'll put it in there. I, like you said, people will tune that out and we're just like sort of used to doing that by now. Yeah. No, that's never going to happen. It's just a disservice to everyone involved. Right. <laughs> you don't like putting it in there. They're not going to get the engagement that they want. And your readers definitely don't, don't want to see it. So, yeah, I mean, this is the third time that you've gone left corporate America this time though, like as you touched on before is you, the product is you. So I guess like what made you bet on yourself now instead of like another company, like this was the time that like, okay, I'm going all into myself now, like as a creator and a consultant, not to say you won't start a company again someday in the future, but what about now made that like, okay, yeah, this is, I'm ready for this. So my first company was really, really hard because of some co-founder stuff and it had a lot of starts and stops. It was really frustrating. 
Second company required a ton of capital, which meant I had to rate, like most of my job was raising capital and playing that game of VC. And, and over the last like eight months, when I went back into the corporate world, I worked with my therapist slash coach. She's really good at like more actionable tools, guided therapy. And so we would kind of do like an energy audit of what parts of my role were like, were giving me energy and what wasn't. And I, the two things that are really important to me are, can I create something and do I have autonomy? And if you look at those first two stints as a founder, those two needs kind of went down over time. Like I was not autonomous. I had to like go get money. I had VCs. I had, you know, a lot of dependency, which was really, really stressful for me. And this time around, I just sat with it and said, like, maybe there's something inside of me that was doubting that I could do this. And I kept going this like kind of different route. So it actually took like kind of like a one-on-one call with Justin Welsh, who, you know, is like the solopreneur guy, but I got to know him and he's an incredible, like just mentor and incredible human. And I went upstate and saw him and he just broke it down and was just like, you can do this. And it's so silly to say, like, it took someone telling me I can do this to do it. But truly, I think we sometimes need someone ahead of us in the path to remind us that we've, we have all of the things of like in our toolkit to go build something. And that's what it took. It literally was like, okay, I think I can do this. He's telling me I can do this. I want to do this. So I was like, let's do it. That's so important to have those people. Like it, it just validates, like you said, that you could do it. And same thing. I had several people a little further ahead of me in the game that would constantly be like, you have more going than I do. So like, why, like, and if I'm making it work, then you can absolutely, but until you make the leap, it's still scary, but yeah, it's, it's always helpful to have those folks. I want to let you go, but what can we expect from the book? What can you share so far? Like, is it going to be similar in tone from the newsletter or? Yes, definitely similar in tone. It's definitely just me in, in writing going to be still like driving down a windy road here, figuring out the exact angle. I have a general idea, but a lot of the same sentiment of like living a life of intention, but really like not being generic about it and really like honing in on one specific dagger, but it's full Frankenstein phase right now. So I don't even want to say anything because like it will change probably in three hours. I'm going to do a writing session right after this. So three hours from now, it could go a very different angle. So uh, maybe we'll check in in a few months if it gets bought and we can do a round two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting though, right? That it could go in several different directions. And I think that like it's how you enjoy the writing process. So that exploration, I think, is usually fun. So, well, I think me and I'm sure many of the listeners can't wait to read it and, and see what becomes of that. But thanks for coming on and, and just being an open book. And I think that this episode will help so many people in terms of just like 
whether that's getting over the fear of going off on their own or how to start something or just like the realistic side of like, hey, like you don't have to make 60 grand in two weeks. So I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, just you, you have a, a way of connecting and that's why your newsletter is successful. So thank you for bringing that here. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the convo. Louder than words.